Welcome to Taiwan R21 on Magic of Spell and Magic of Warriors and we return to the universe of Peach Boy as played by a woman and as portrayed by Taiwanese children's fantasy filmmakers who knew a thing or two about pace, energy and free-for-all creativity in this, uh, in this fantasy realm of cinema. Uh, sometimes you have the idea as a filmmaker but not everyone can execute these filmmakers certainly did me kennedy and multimedia man Todd statman have hit upon that's sort me. of that's him that's him in the background <laughs> we have hit upon a special era of taiwanese children's and special effects cinema and uh here us uh this episode try and break down what makes the child of peach sequel magic of spell so special and in the second half we look at a sort of a spirited well, spirited cousin and spirit cousin of these movies without it being a sequel, and that is the energetic magic warrior. So, welcome, buddy, and how are things going? Uh, good. I'm definitely better than I sound. I can say that authoritatively. I've, I'm getting over a little cold, so I apologize. I've got a little frog in my throat. But other than that, I'm, I'm good. Excellent. Excellent. Well, well, it feels really good to be in this kind of... Um, Taiwanese cinema genre aura yes. to discuss. We, we really get, uh, you know, to, I'm not trying to be rude, but really kind of get off on discussing this and watching these movies because it's in the name of fun and like, holy crap, I've not seen that. <laughs> I, like, I've not seen that on any any side of the world almost. But uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's good natured crack, is what I'm saying too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love talking about these movies. We have to abandon it at some point, but then return to it. So uh, it's uh, it's about mixing yeah. and matching. But uh, it's uh, fun to do Child of Peach, as we did uh, in a prior episode. It's sequel and then another magic movie, <laughs> so to say. Uh, but let's get into it. There's some really quick uh, contact information. And this is Taiwan War on the Podcast on Fire Network. We are available on podcastonfire.com along with this show, all our other shows and choices as well as bonus episodes uh, available every now and again if you have any questions or feedback we would love to hear from you for instance on email podcast on fire at googlemail.com on the top of our web of our website there's some handy buttons to our various social media facebook including the facebook discussion group uh, our twitter our itunes feed so if you use itunes please subscribe rate and even comment and thank you to everyone who has uh, done so it's very very kind to read uh, reviews uh, and that you take time to do so and if you don't like uh, downloading podcasts there is the streaming option via stitcher radio we link to their web presence but they also have applications available on the apple app store and google play and over on my site sogoodreviews.com i review these taiwanese movies every now and again and mixing it with adult hong kong sleazy movies violent movies uh, ninja movies of course and a variety of genres and that is sogoodreviews.com and my little video hub is lizykvideo.com and my twitter handle is at sogoodreviews and it's inactive now but uh, he's still gonna uh, got an archive of blog posts about Taiwanese movies that are inserted into the various cut and paste movies Godfrey Ho for instance directed that is the blog Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles as maintained by author Jesus Perez Molina I mean his his excuse why it's inactive is that he wrote a book on all things uh, you know Godfrey Ho Richard Harrison Phil Mark and etc so uh, that's a that's a good excuse he finally put his passion to not finally but he put his passion into into inspiring words and uh, it's in Spanish only at this point but uh, I, I love the fact that just like you your book someone tackled this subject and found someone who got it made and printed and all of that and released uh, to the world so it's uh, it's a good good thing 
Uh, you have a bunch of pl- plugs, but I'm going to spare your voice uh, <laughs> because you have Thank about you. Uh, 50 plugs or so. And I'm always happy for you to do all the plugs. But uh, in the name of saving your voice, I'm just going to say that uh, all relevant links uh, to Todd's uh, blog, the 4DK blog, the uh, radio show Pop Offensive and a variety of endeavors are available in our show post. So uh, die danger, die die kill.blogspot.com, I think is the... Is the URL, and uh, you can find all all links to Todd's endeavors over there as well. Yes, indeed. Okay, let's get into it. Magic of Spell from 1988, and because plot, because plot, Todd is his name. His, his name is not plot. Because <laughs> plot. Todd, <laughs> hey plot, do a plot. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, uh, well, I knew the name was going to make sense someday, and now it does. <laughs> because Todd wrote. A very, very good plot for Magic of Spell. It's not incoherent, the movie, but I just couldn't put one together and there wasn't any convenient stuff available elsewhere. So Todd went to town and being the great writer that he is, he wrote a very good, suitable plot for Magic of Spell. So take it away, Todd. What is it about? You're too kind. Here we go. Ahem. The Elder and his army of demons are the last remaining practitioners of evil to have evaded being vanquished by Peach Boy. The Elder vows to destroy Peach Boy, but must first replenish himself by bathing in the blood of 1,000 virgins, as you do. Meanwhile, he sends a quartet of grotesque minions, a white-clad glamrock ghost, a green-faced gremlin, a hulking strongman with a boulder for a hand, an evil priest, to attack Peach Boy, his friends and family. When one of these attacks results in the death of Peach Boy's mother, the shit is on. Oh, you could, be, you, you could have been a trailer man voice. Like, <laughs> the shit Get is ready on. to rumble! Um, <laughs> Peach Boy, accompanied by our old friends Tiny Cock, Tiny Monkey, and Tiny Dog, as well as a bumbling new disciple, set out on a pilgrimage to the Elder's Castle with payback in mind. On the way, they find an unlikely ally in a young boy who is the human incarnation of the 1,000-year-old ginseng root. Now, Ken, if I might, I wanted to augment this a little by the um, synopsis that's given on the back of the four-star VCD. And uh, I, I kind of have a feeling it's not very um, coherent grammatically. Uh, no. Sit back and enjoy. Peach Boy and his mother live in a village. One day there is a young man suddenly comes to the village <laughs> and asks Peach Boy as his teacher because of the worship. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that makes sense. Because of the worship, Todd. Because of the, all the worship. At the same time, the elder of the Devil Palace wants to set Peach Boy to the death trap. They, <laughs> they grasp children in order to have better martial arts skills. Uh, okay. Yeah, all right, that's their excuse. Where's that in the movie? Children. Yeah. Peach Boy becomes righteous and indignant. He decides to exercise demons, but unexpectedly, <laughs> his mother is killed by the devil. The battle between Peach Boy and the devil is unavoidable. Yeah, it's quite common still today to have these um, these plot summaries from Hong Kong companies uh, like that because it's sort of a basic goes through a basic translation program, or there's no no one really with English as their main language working on these movies, as was the case for when it was all subtitled back in the day. Having said that, the subtitles were pretty damn good on this one. There was no like, what's going on here? So um. 
Yeah. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Let me do my short opinion first of all. Uh, director Chu, uh, or rather Chow, Chow Jung-hin, does dedicate some of the first half to a, a bit too much of the pratfall and humor and lame slapsticks and... And proceedings have actually turned very, very somber. It's the gritty sequel, but you are in for a non-stop ride of Taiwanese fantasy madness. And I know that sounds like lame box art quote, quote, but it is true. So in short, uh, what do you want to say first of all of uh, your general view of Magic of Spell? Within the realm of sequels, it's a it's a worthy sequel. It doesn't real. I mean, it does have some more somber moments. It doesn't really take the series in a new direction, but it it delivers everything the first series had, and and uh, you know it brings back most of the the beloved characters and most of them played by the same actors, and it picks up the pace a little. I mean, I thought this one was. It seemed like much more fight intense. There was a lot more martial arts action in this one. And there's goofy monsters. You know, there's pretty much everything you'd want from a Peach Boy movie. But yeah, the bit where his mom dies, and uh, that that's quite sad. I mean, I really enjoyed the characters of his mom and dad in the first movie. And the dad is dead, dead at this point. He has died uh, in between movies, yeah. You're right about the comic relief. It starts out right off. I mean, we get a wah, wah, wah within about a minute. And he, fa- he falls into a hole that any normal person would see while walking down the road. Right. Like yeah. it's, a, it's one of those holes where it's like it's totally black, like it is a hole. It's not a pit, little pit with dirt in it. It's a black hole. So, oh my god, I fell into the hole. And you're right, they do the damn sound effect, which is a red flag sometimes. Yeah. Oh my god, there's no confidence in your comedy if you have to resort to sound effect <laughs> enhanced comedy. They start right out by introducing a new comic relief character. Who it does? I don't know if he was ever given a name. He's, he's played by Gu Bao Ming, and he's sort of he's this guy that's seeking out the Peach Boy because he wants to be his, you know, he wants Peach Boy to be his Sifu, and he's kind of an idiot and a bumbler. It doesn't ruin the movie at all, actually, but uh, in an yeah. overall sense, anyway. But you're, you're right that that is um, uh, kind of difficult to handle first. On the other hand. That that whole like opening shtick is quickly, you know, smash cut to it's the night and you all of a sudden for we don't know the context but there's zombies about and uh, vampires about and there finally uh, director Chow sort of shows that we're gonna crank things here in the tradition of. A ch- the child of Peach, uh, you know, f- for instance, stupid stuff like, you know, because he doesn't know that the zombie is there coming up behind him, and he moves his head back to take a, a drink, and uh, that gesture throws back the zombie, like, for several meters, just because of the impact, and that, like, boom, boom, makes me, makes me like the movie a whole lot, actually. It's that cranked factor, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's not, uh, like, a little fall over or anything, it's something that falls and things like that are sometimes wire assisted just for the sake of it and it's it's that yes. uh, undercranked fashion of uh, movie making that in in this era man in this era I don't it wasn't true for the 90s it wasn't true for the 70s really but they hit upon the sort of oh yeah we can do stuff here technically and uh, physically in real life uh, and also in post production yeah. so that works but it's um, I don't know ever if the zombie sort of angle vampire angle ever paid off 
It doesn't. It's something totally extraneous to the main plot. I still enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, and they had these neat uh, puppets because they're sort of these skeletal zombies and they had some very nice practical effects in those scenes yeah it's a it's a creative use of both makeup on when the stunt uh, men in the suits but also the low budget puppetry as the as the zombie now in skeleton form as you said tries to uh, grab the man again and the man i, I don't know what his uh, counter move was but in the end the zombie gets crushed and talks and and says like oh i got a concussion <laughs> like oh my god it talks as well awesome and uh, so but, but but you're right it's sort of like it's not on the level of you know army of darkness or anything but it's not far behind the tradition of like let's have animatronic skeletons on screen like yeah, it's yeah. Uh, and it's not you know ray harry house or anything like that but i still taiwanese they're not shoddy at no, cr- not creating at this uh, i mean you get a lot through energy but uh, the low budget sort of isn't reflected fully it's not limp effects in terms of the uh, the puppetry on display they're, they're not like just limp puppets where everything is just you know li- literally that and i would actually i would compare it to evil dead because i think sam raimi was sort of inspired by movies like this because it has that same kind of manic energy to it so you're never look the effects are neat but you're never looking at any of them too long to really see the seams uh you know which i think is always clever and they're just the ideas are so cool the zombies with their eyeballs bugging out you know it's a cute scene where the zombie family patches up each other you know they, they, oh, they yes. put a bandage over dad you know they say right. dad are you feeling better and just as soon as they sort of tie the bandage neatly around his head his eyeballs uh, light up in green and you know dad is back and that's just marvelous what a movie i like this sort of children's friendly despite um, being a horror angle uh, uh you know attached to all of this but but the male hero is still, you know, he's trying, as you said, he tries to find Peach Boy, and he is such a sad sack of a character, really. He's so, he's so anxious to fight, but he's obviously, you know, a bumbling fool, a coward, and sort of a blind follower, really. But uh, they do get to use him for some bizarre developments towards the end, so he he is useless, but at least they do something very unexpected with him. But uh, if there ever would have been a third pure child of peach movie i wouldn't be sad if we didn't get the character's uh, return you know yeah well i think you know we didn't have a uh, melon knight in this movie so i think he took that part of the except melon knight was actually pretty competent to fight despite being the you know the comic relief fat guy um but this guy too he kind of redeems himself at the end so that was a nice a nice touch but even the end end frame, um, I, I don't mean to jump to the end, but even the end frame has the characters running away from him. <laughs> it's sort of like, where are you going? Freeze the frame and then credit. So <laughs> he's gone. He also has a great scene with the Peach Boy's mom. You know, when he starts wimping out, they're going off to confront the evil king. And he starts having second thoughts and starts asking Peach Boy's mom if he can just stay behind. And she just like gives him like a, a, a very stern talking to. And so I think she slaps him around a little bit. By the way, we got a cute new theme song here with uh, English translated lyrics such as world is full of laughter and hope, which uh, sort of um, 
you know, gets turned on its head later in the movie where the world is not full of laughter and hope for a few minutes. It's uh, yeah. everything sucks now. But the the, the, to- the tone is awesome because uh, Peach Boy is, you know, in montage form, we see that Peach Boy. It, because as you remember, the, the sort of um, origin story as written had these variations of Peach Boy being a selfish boy. And a helpful boy, but here, here they settled on Peach Boy has developed into someone who helps humans, animals, kids. I think he's much more superheroic in this movie, the way they set him up, especially that opening credits thing where you just see him, you know, saving babies and like doing all these various good deeds. And I was like that better, you know, out of those two variations uh, that, um, you know, that it is, uh, you know, a helpful hero mm-hmm. and, uh, and, yeah. and and a competent hero and uh, versus all of that we get uh, of course uh, an early showcase of the big finale set looks very impressive uh, uh, the lair and uh, obviously a mix of post-production special effects uh, showcase with superimposed mm-hmm. lasers and a typical maniacally laughing uh eventually big head villain so we get a ha 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 type of villain and uh, that is perfect setup for the story that we are going to experience for 80 minutes i never said that it's super short man yes Uh, which accounts for you probably feeling that it's quite better paced uh, than most movies yeah no movie needs to be longer than 80 minutes I wish a lot more filmmakers throughout the decades would get that. I know. Yeah, because more and more everybody feels like they have to make a movie over three hours to have it seem like it's important. Um, I also wanted to point out that the lair of, you know, they call him the elder. He gets called the devil. I think he gets called the evil at some point. There's no mistaking what side of the moral divide this guy is on. But uh, (laughs) his... uh, his lair, the the external shots of his lair are a very obvious cartoon, which I I kind of like that. You know, it's that kind of movie. So I mean, the fantasy aspects means that all the f- effects work is all around suitable for the material. You you absolutely you're never out of the movie at all. And I don't know if I would say it looks more impressive than Child of Peach because they that was impressive too. So, so I can't like extract like oh yeah, oh yeah, they've learned a thing or two. Uh, but uh, it's all on a good like technical uh, level uh, that um, we we didn't see uh, for many years to come. You know, it's a it's a bit of a shame that it's so short. Like, like Taiwanese sort of period sometimes are. Oh, we talk sometimes about the social realism period that uh, the female revenge movie. That was a very short period, although there were iconic stuff uh, whilst they were uh, doing it. Uh, one weak aspect is actually, but but, but the movie sort of realizes that, that it shouldn't do it for extended periods. Comedic banter, even when Peach Boy and uh, the man, let's call him man, the, the disciple, have uh, have met up with Mother and all of that. The comedic banter isn't, like the domestic comedic banter, I should say, it isn't very strong and it feels like it needs to be broken up. And thankfully, movie kind of listens to my mind. And therefore, you, you get, albeit uh, so, that zombie resurrection that I talked of. So they cut to something. So at least, uh, okay, yeah. nothing is going to go on extended sort of you know in a, like in a crappy kung fu movie where it starts with a serious scene and then yes. cuts to the 
stupid hero for 20, 30 minutes falling on his ass. Uh-huh. But, but but this movie doesn't stay in these uh, areas uh, a lot. I mean, they, they, I don't think it takes a long time before, you know, we get Pete's boy defending uh, the home from that trio or quartet of uh, minions. <laughs> Mainly the uh, the evil priest character. I don't think he had a name either, as far as I know. The only one of them that had a name that I know of was uh, the white, the little ghost, that white sort of glam rock looking ghost, very asexual character. And there's definitely some homoeroticism involving him, or you know, jokes about him ha- taking a fancy to the disciple. And in fact, it, it's sort of implied that he, he takes him in the back and sort of ravages him because he comes out all disoriented and like his clothes are torn up and stuff. Taiwanese children's cinema, ladies and gents. Nothing wrong with that, but we know that they don't play, they don't do all things just cutesy. They break it up with... uh, with sometimes even violence. I mean, there's some blood in this movie. Not just the death, but so some people are shot in the head with uh, an arrow or something. I mean, it's not uh, like Lone Wolf and Cub blood or anything like that. Fountains of shit. But, you know, there's no, ooh, that, that's death. That unmistakable death. It's not like, wah, 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 they died. But I gotta say, when, you know, if if, if you think of that whole, uh, when all the minions approach the, the house and that whole sequence where the mother dies. But think of how... Well, or maybe you, you don't think of it because it's sort of, uh, you just go with the flow, but the frantic editing, which is not choppy editing, but frantic editing, plus the wire work that they do is so amazing. Like there's a shot where she flips uh, one of the minions of a zombie in uh, in the air, like he, he tumbles 360 in the air when he lies uh, uh, horizontally. And those quick cuts I just love. And you oh, also yeah. get... Uh, maybe this this is probably before Street Fighter 2, but they, they sort of do the Street Fighter 2 angle when mm-hmm. Peach Boy squares off versus a puppet. And the choreographed yeah. moves by the both the director and his stunt association involving uh, Lin Chao Liu and the puppet, they are awesome because, again, the puppet is not limp and she is asked, obviously, to perform choreography, which she does very well. And that could have sunk the movie because fighting with a puppet is is not a guarantee for success but that little fight scene i adored like you read about it looks it's well timed as hell and it looks amazing because here we go it's the old man kenny again it's there it's not fighting against effects it's there i think you mentioned already that the director of this film chi chung was the action director on child of peach he, along with a couple of other people, and his stuntman association, which is a usual credit because no, no man is working really alone uh, choreographing these movies. So, uh, right. But he was the stunt, um, the action director for The Child of Peach and now the director. And I'm sure you've encountered a couple of his movies. He was sort of a veteran of special effects madness, both in Hong Kong and Taiwan. Uh, you got credits on Yumbo Ping's The Miracle Fighters in Hong right. Kong. Yeah. Uh, he was the director of the first Hello Dracula, which is Taiwan's Mr. Vampire series, and also That's right. her heroic fight with uh, Lin Xiao Liu uh, from this movie, and uh, Yu Mo Ping's brother, uh, Yun Chung Yan, stars in that one. It's a, it's a wacky little modern-day action movie in the vein of uh, Taiwan Reefer Madness, so heroic fight. If you haven't tracked that down, 
you know, it's it's well directed, I suppose. I mean, the story is told and we have fun with it, so you can't complain about directorial skills um, or lack of directorial skills. I think it's a very sufficiently well and well made well made film. I think the thing we have we can't go any farther without mentioning. I mean, I, I think people who like uh, who like Child of Peach will be satisfied this film. It's lacking some of the things that Child of Peach had. We don't have the big peach transformer uh, that we had in Child of Peach. But what we what this movie does have that Child of Peach does not have is Ginseng Boy. Uh, I don't think I can explain very well what uh, like why I like him other than wow that's special that's uh, and it's not annoying. It could have been. He's kind of adorable. Looks looks a little bit freaky in yes. when they dress the child in the very crude but you know suitable uh, ginseng uh, root. Yeah, suit. he looks a little like a carrot at times. <laughs> you know, I looked into, I tried to find like you know any historical thing about the idea of the thousand-year-old ginseng root in Chinese folklore, and I didn't. I probably didn't dig deep enough. So I didn't find anything. The only thing I did find is that uh, in Chinese folklore, ginseng is said to transform itself into animal form to to avoid its hunters. So here it sort of just uh, teleports away from um, from uh, the minions who who are yes. after his ginseng root yes. powers for the for the bloodbath, the literal bloodbath yeah. that uh, the elder is in. Yeah, his predicament is that everybody wants to eat him because he's so good for you. <laughs> it, and it was strange too. I made a note at one point, like, oh, do we have two ginseng root boys? Because he comes in two forms, right? Uh, like uh, two, three year, two, three years old, or four, five years old, and then like an eight, nine year old, right? And one is more boy than ginseng, and another is more ginseng than boy. But eventually, apparently, they were the same. That's not confusion that detracts from the movie. You just kind of, I, I, well, yeah, I guess I, I sort of get it. Whatever, now. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just go. I'll, I'll roll with it. Um, yeah, you could almost be like an advertising mascot for ginseng. You know, you could see commercials. Who, <laughs> Hi, I'm Ginseng Boy. Everybody wants to eat me because I'm so good for you. <laughs> it would be a suitable cap, like uh, campaign. So indeed, who knows? Maybe, maybe he got he got a gig uh, promoting the movie that way. Like we're gonna put you in commercials, kid. So yeah, the, all the scenes involving Chinsing Boy are very madcap because everybody is trying to catch him, and he has yeah he has the ability by. The power of just turning the camera off and turning it on again, of disappearing and showing up somewhere else, out of reach. Pew, pew, pew. Like you just put sound effects over that, and you and you shoot it at night too, so you don't see the jump cuts as yes. uh, uh, in the you know you don't see the trees moving as much as you do the jump right. cuts. So the and that is clever thinking. That sounds basic, but that is clever thinking. That's what you need to do to sort of make the experience seamless and. Uh, and and as you probably alluded to, like you don't see a lot of the scenes in this movie. I mean, it's uh, I don't think it has aged poorly at all. I think this is still rel- relevant technical special effects filmmaking even today. Again, I'm coming from a generation who grew up on this stuff, but I still like this better. I just do. Yeah, I mean, I would show it to a kid if I had one, but maybe that's why I'm not a father. <laughs> you know, I my. Uh, 
nephew was visiting a few weeks ago. He's about 20. And I showed him Eight Diagram Pole Fighter, which is like one of my all-time favorite movies. And he was nonplussed. Really? So I, I was like, you know, it was over. Wasn't that amazing? He's like, yeah, it was a little over the top. So it made me feel like a clueless old man. So I've, I've had it. I've had experience before where where someone calls something I find fast very slow and old. Yes, and that's yes. Then, then you have an up, uphill battle that you probably just should. Uh, yeah, just conclude walk at that away. point. Yeah, yeah, just walk away. <laughs> Indeed, but you know, it, it is the kind of movie universe uh, where anything can happen. It's they're, they're, maybe they adhere to, you know, what's known in history. Who knows? But then again, I'm I'm pretty sure they just sort of are making things up on the spot that they can then execute technically. I mean, there is a little bit where the Ginseng boy runs up to this uh, Buddha statue and there's a laser blast out of the Buddha Uh, head and then Ginseng boy gets sucked onto this big rock with letters on the rock shooting out lasers. And I I just love that stuff because it's not improvisation in, in the frame that they you know, go cut, cut, print, moving on. But there, there's, it seems uh, very culturally specific, though. I mean, the whole thing with the rock and like I don't know what the characters said, you know. But that and the Buddha and everything. And also, I've seen the gin, the thousand year old ginseng personified in other movies. It's in the Legend of Mother Goddess too, from 1975. And in that, it's like a creepy little flying baby puppet that everybody's <laughs> but it's sort of the same thing everybody's chasing it around and it's like hee and like evading them and it's very madcap you know maybe there's a mixture of improvisation that they then take to the special effects people but also they, they, they base it on stuff they know possibly like uh, but if we find it fun then then you know job well done and that's all that's all you need if you if you can find more subtext to all of that I still think it's in. I still think it's made in the name of fun, ultimately. So um, before we get to the finale, it's a long finale, man. The only thing I truly love that it's not necessarily a funny movie, as I said, the banter is sort of weak. But when our uh, three of uh, animals, you know, the tiny cock, dog, and monkey, are in the picture again, seem- seemingly the same actors, uh, they have a little. Um, uh, they're cooking. Uh, our new disciple, he's cooking. So he's asked, uh, what are you cooking? Monkey brain and dog meat. That's not funny. <laughs> so, uh-huh. And it's well-timed, you know, that, that little yeah. banter, because you don't, like, he simply doesn't know. And it's rare that I laugh at uh, stuff in these movies, yeah. because it's sort of just transparent crap. I mean, even if you think to all, maybe it's a poor comparison, but again, if you think to all those kung fu comedies that followed in after there was one good one, it's it's simply just really tedious to watch, but uh, I thought it was well timed that uh, <laughs> he doesn't know that, that that's kind of offensive what he's doing. Well, I think also following upon Child of Peach, which I actually is one of the few kung fu comedies that I I thought parts of Child of Peach were really funny. I love the characters of the mom and dad, the whole thing with them having staging a brawl to decide what you know the the peach boy should do and you know i laughed at that quite a lot so by comparison yeah the jokes in this fall flat and it also yeah i think it gets off on the wrong foot by starting right out with a really broad dumb physical gag 
I, I, I can't think of many examples where that was funny in global cinema. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. short question and maybe a short answer before we uh, talk of whatever we want uh, that's from the finale. Do you think it runs too long or is it fun all the way through? Because it is a good 20-minute finale that they conjure up here. I, I didn't have any problems with the length. I thought it was very well-paced. And I thought that 20-minute finale was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that is what I didn't expect out of this movie. That, oh my yeah. god, there's 20 minutes left. I think they're going to do it for the entire uh, the, the duration of the movie. Awesome, let's go. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a tour de force. I mean, it had everybody fighting everybody. A lot of weird little uh, special effects vignettes. There was that bit with that sort of monster that looked like a boulder. It kind of looked like the... Uh, Watermelon monster from Shaolin Drunkard. It, it, it's a rock with teeth, people. A rock with teeth, and then <laughs> and then uh, Peach Kid d- destroys it with a giant mallet, like a mallet that's like twice the size of him. So there's all these little sort of asides, and they and, and dude, they execute it. They, they, it's it's sort of what I hinted at in the intro: ideas to execution. Sort of rare when you're dealing with high concept, you know, concepts. Yeah. We don't we don't have two people outside fighting each other. I mean, there's. I think they must have shot this over a number of weeks, maybe several months. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, because there's a lot of intricate stunt work. A lot of uh, you know, there's a lot of there's people flying all over the place, often at the same time in the same shot, which must be incredibly complicated to stage so sometimes i think when uh when these uh, stuntmen jump all at the same time it's sort of just like good luck <laughs> you know either i'll land on you or we'll land separately uh you know on the thing or, or the wires may be tangled up but it's gonna look good on screen and we're gonna be on fire too how do you like that right exactly i i uh yeah and i was very happy to see you know tiny cock tiny monkey and tiny dog again because it looked they don't really show up until halfway through the movie. So I was kind of resigned to them not being there. And then they were all of a sudden there. And I was like, yay. <laughs> and those kids are talented. You can see that. Oh, uh, yeah. and, uh, very clearly pulled from, uh, you know, a kung fu school or whatever. Right? But they, 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 there's some very accurate wire work here as well. One sequence, the, I think it's the start of the finale. They all run towards each other. And you see, for instance... Uh, I guess Tiny Cock, the one in red. He is, or she is, who knows, pulled on a wire horizontally and then lands perfectly in front of a oh, god. Wow. A god. Yeah. It's a really accurate wire shot because they pull him, uh, him or her, and then just sets, set him, uh, set him down or her down. Yeah, yeah. And the uh, and the that trio also still looking very much like Spandau Ballet, circa muscle bound era. Very new romantic, I thought. And this was nineteen. This was nineteen eighty-eight, right? Some some minor minor highlights. There's so much stuff here. Uh, we don't get the creepy peach puppet, but we get uh, big peaches uh, used as uh, bowling balls against yeah, gods. Yeah, that's hilarious. And and I was afraid that the the climax was going to focus too much on comedy because at one point there's also a seesaw kind of gag where someone's bo- someone's balls are squares you know squished and all that. Yes, but there's it, a lot of ball ball kicking in this. No peeing, but this time a little bit more. Ball no kicking. peeing, no farting either. 
<laughs> but uh, you know, it's 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 impossible for me to dislike anything. I was just sort of like, oh, don't get stuck on comedy. No, you don't, because you have other stuff on your up your sleeve. And uh, even the tiny cock turns uh, his hand into a rooster and pierces the eye of someone, which is awesome. Like really violent all of a sudden. Yeah, it's like a hand puppet of a rooster head. Oh, and I did. I I should mention that someone does get their ass, their bare ass bitten by a zombie. So there is that. So we still have that scatological spirit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not displeased at all. I, I And I was also sort of um, intrigued that they did scale it back, the running time of it, uh, despite, the, you know, they didn't adhere to the bigger, better, because it's the sequel. You know, it's uh, it's admirable when you scale things back to, uh, and uh, yep, uh, many movies, Hong Kong or Taiwanese, could take a page out of uh, could mm-hmm. should have taken a page out of Magic of Spells book but uh, it, it, it was this was rare if it was 80 minutes normally you can guarantee that it was probably cut somewhere but uh, but I think this is the intended uh, intended product okay I've heard, yeah I've heard there are versions out there with some scenes missing I didn't get that feeling with this usually you get you know you can get a sense or something got skipped Maybe there's a half an hour of the zombie somewhere, but, uh, you know... Uh... Right. Maybe that pays off in some other version. Maybe they... I thought they might show up for the final battle. That would have been cool. Just to have... <laughs> oh, oh yeah, these guys. Like, we're whole again. Like, Dad is patched up. Now, now, now shit is on. <laughs> you know, we're here. So, yeah, I mean, they, you can't... My, my final words on it all. You can't guarantee that special effects cinema in Taiwan will turn out like this but it somehow feels like for a couple of movies they were so skilled at this kind of stuff they they not that they did it in their sleep but there was so much skill and confidence and sync for between all departments that no wonder we got a good stream of these kind of movies uh, during this uh, you know 85 and up until 89 90 yeah that was really kind of a golden age for these kind of movies you know, all those great Shaw Brothers fantasies like, you know, Holy Flame of the Martial World. I mean, did those come out in the eighties as well? They were all post they were all post zoo. Yeah, yeah. I mean you can draw a, it, I think I said it in the Ch- Chilo Peach episode. It's wonderful that Sue didn't generate a hundred weak ones. I think whenever someone tackled this material, you gotta kind of step up to the plate because you otherwise you'll revert to the standard set 20 30 years earlier you know uh, like, like the original buddha palm movies and things like that uh, it, but i i can't think of many special effects movies hong kong or taiwanese that sort of felt uh, oh my god they're so weak and they're so not skilled at what they're doing like if you tackle this stuff you gotta bring some technical know-how and uh, it's it's pretty damn fun i haven't seen kung fu wonder child in a while i mean we're gonna cover it eventually but uh i'm hoping that holds up as well that uh, yeah kung fu wonder child has an um, at the end has an amazing uh cell animated sequence which really holds up it's very well done uh well 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 it's uh my last uh words uh, oh, oh by the way i i have a question for you there might be some something i missed here i said it was coherent and all but at one point you know kids are kidnapped for their blood but were any kids saved by the end? Any of those virgin blo- virgin blooded kids? 
I think they'd already been drained into the pool. <laughs> That's amazing. Was my impression. Oh, okay. Let, now, since we're trying to clear up mysteries, did you understand the very ending where all of a sudden they're like, let's go to paradise? I think they're referring to the Peach Garden, if I'm being honest. That's oh, my theory. Okay. But, but, but they don't translate it as Peach Garden uh, this time around. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably what it was. So, yeah, but uh, it was sort of like, hey, what about the kids? Like, the end. We're done. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Freeze frame. Listen to the theme song. We're in the kids' safe. Listen to the theme song. Yeah, but, but uh-huh. oh, that's kind of cute, isn't it? <laughs> and then yeah. you sort of, you forget about it. So, yeah, I love it. I love it. It's good fun. Anything else you want to say before we uh, finish this review? No, I agree with you. It's a fun film. I recommend it. Uh, if you, for people who like these kind of films like us, um, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Very fun, very fast paced. You know, you won't feel like you've wasted your time with it. It won't change your life, but you won't feel like you've wasted your life by watching it. You can also watch it without having seen Child of Peach, I think, which is kind of a nice advantage. Um, well, actually, you know, I did first see this before Child of Peach. And I and I enjoyed it more now having seen Child of Peach because it does continue on. I mean, you know, it does revisit a lot of the characters and stuff. But but you're not one hundred percent out of the loop, though. Uh... No, absolutely. I mean, it's still you know you don't really need a lot of backstory to appreciate like a rock with teeth and you know the ginseng boy. You know, it's almost better if it's coming just completely out of left field. That's good, all good. Uh, as for availability, it is a part of the Fortune Star Library in Hong Kong, and uh, it had a nice-looking widescreen VCD a few years back, but that is now out of print, unfortunately. They never did a Joy Sales Legendary Collection DVD that also was sometimes put out at the same time as the VCDs. Uh, a- actually, they did. Cause did, I, did they eventually? I'm, oh. I'm looking at it right now. Four star legendary collection. It wasn't at the same time though, so I probably just it dropped off my radar because I know yeah. the VCD came out and the DVD didn't re- get released on the same day. So yeah, okay. I bought this in Chinatown. I don't know, probably like six or seven years ago. And they're not printing these. Uh, they're printing some of that collection, but not this one. So you gotta look for used copies or you know uh, search bins in your local Chinatown, of course. Uh, but uh, worst comes to worst, there are online versions of it, uh, uh, not legal ones. But still, if you gotta, if it's not out there, what, what are you gonna do? Sit there and wait for the 4K remaster? Well, hire the neighborhood kids to reenact it with hand puppets. Well, there is puppetry in the movie, so you... you there you, is. Yeah, I enjoyed the puppetry. You're 20% there, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Let's take a short break, and after the break, there will be uh, some more uh, talk of these kind of movies in the form of Magic Warriors from 1989. Uh, not Peach Boy anymore, but the same uh, female lead. So that's, that, that's what we're going to do, and uh, listen to some break music, and uh, we'll be back.
And welcome back, listeners. And uh, in the second half of this show, we're going to talk Magic Warriors from 1989. So uh, Todd has miraculously, over the course of a break, <laughs> battled back from being ill. And uh, I mean, he's a superhero in that regard. He's a magic warrior against yeah. flu season. So uh, I used the palm power, and I uh, yeah, and I vomited out the illness, as is a recurring motif in magic warriors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's an easy enough skill to learn well did you do that on yourself or did you have your wife uh, sit there and meditate uh, behind you (laughs) oh yeah yeah she punched me in the back (laughs) i coughed up like a little demon that was the personification of my uh my flu that i had Mm -hmm. well welcome back to the to the world of uh, feeling healthy but you still brought it for the first half half of the show and you're going to bring it for this one as well including the plot of magic warriors so the floor is yours what is it about as war rages on between heaven and hell the kindly hero little flying dragon is entrusted with the care of a child called golden boy who is the product of the star-crossed union between the rebellious daughter of the king of hell and thundering night a guardian of heaven golden boy is in possession of a map which guides the way to a magical weapon that is the only means of destroying the king of hell this makes his capture a necessity for the king and his freakish minions as the pair makes a perilous journey to the king's lair to seek justice and to free golden boy's captain mother captive captive mother <laughs> little flying dragon must constantly employ his uncanny martial arts skills against an ever weirder assortment of baddies for his part the mischievous golden boy defends himself by pissing farting and spraying diarrhea upon his attackers you know, you know. As the plot said for last uh, review, like shit is on, but this time shit is on faces. Yeah, the shit <laughs> is everywhere in this movie, <laughs> and don't blame me because I didn't write the movie. I just wrote the synopsis. I would have been proud to have conjured up this kind of uh, fantastical and fantastic content by 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 sort of dropping my uh, review uh sort of quick bite opinion already but uh it's um that may not might not be uh their finest sort of more mature hour but uh <laughs> it is a children's movie after all and yes. uh, colorful in many ways including uh this in, in the scatological ways uh, yes. if you will but we'll get to the movie a little bit background on some of the before the camera players and behind the camera players this is directed by two directors uh Shang Shuang Jin Chen and Li Chonam. And the former is a veteran cinematographer and occasional director. Uh, I mean maybe there's seven or eight movies on his resume, but there are two great classics that I'm wondering if you've seen Todd. Uh, one is called Twenty One Red List and the other is called Revanchist. And the, these are essentially and maybe this will trigger your memory if you have seen them. Think Once Upon a Time in China only with guns instead. Wire Fu plus John Wu equals these two movies. I'm sorry to disappoint you, Ken, but I have not seen either of those. Those come recommended. They're sort of period period efforts, uh, look serious enough, but they bring it on action-wise with these like really cool wire-assisted uh, gunplay sequences. Uh, and uh, Alexander Loray is in uh, he's in both, at least 21 Red Lists, but I know he had a hand in uh, directing the action as well. So those come recommended, sort of already reviewed in this series, albeit in slightly less uh, extensive form so you're gonna have to look up those two movies on their own uh, they, they were sort of shot at the same time i think because it, it's the entire like cast and crew they're all 
on both of these movies, 21 Red List and Revanchist. Uh, uh, so look look them up. Uh, that, that's two shining, crowning achievements on Shang's uh, uh, filmography. But the Lee Chun Nam, on the other hand, pops up a ton of times in Taiwanese cinema, including on this show. And I mean, if you look at his filmography, it is extensive. It is also un- uneven. <laughs> because someone who works that much is going to produce some crap, and boy, has he done some crap. But he was mostly working outside the studio system. You know, he was the, one of those grinding directors, still working, working, mm-hmm. working, working, working. And that is, in my opinion, respectable working ethics. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, like do, do you have any, like, uh, I always draw comparisons to Bollywood, but are there, like, Bollywood directors that just did hundreds of movies and therefore maybe... And and therefore maybe a fifth of them are like memorable. Do, do you have any like Bollywood directors that spring to mind? Not so much Bollywood because the film, you know, they it's hard to churn out so many because there's so, there the productions are so involved. If I sat down, I could think of others like that. I mean, I do think that filmmakers like that are sort of the life's blood of the film industries in which they work. You know, they you know they keep it pumping. And I do think that's to be respected, even though, yes, often they have very sketchy filmographies. Like in uh, Lee Sonam's, uh, Lee Chonam's, I'm sorry, case, we have, uh, I'm not actually, maybe I'm just judging this by its title, but he did direct a movie called Crazy Nuts of Kung Fu. I, I, I join you in that judging because it, it, I just know that that's going to be. It's not going to be a sh- like a honed, fought out classic of Kung Fu comedic shenanigans it's gonna be a kung fu comedy and it's gonna be uh, difficult to get through i have a problem with kung fu comedy in terms of like if it's so annoying that even the action sometimes won't dazzle me because i'm so annoyed and pissed off that nothing works and then you can bring five out of five star action and it's just like what else and already and yes you failed me already you can yeah there's no turning back so, uh, but but you know you know it pays off in the form of genuine like that, that working habit that is it pays off in form of genuine kung fu action classics and even fantasy classics um, you know everything from the surprisingly solid dramatic kung fu pictures which in the title doesn't sound like it fatal needles versus fatal fists but I remember it being sort of mature maturely handled but there's also fan favorites like the hot the cool and the vicious from 1976 but also maybe the crowning achievement in terms of like. Uh, quote the Lee Chonam movie, martial arts fan, people will probably say Shaolin vs. Lama. And uh, I remember that movie, it was good, but I saw it in cropped form and I remember this is so cropped, man. So I'm, I'm, I have the widescreen version somewhere else, so I'm, I'm going to reassess my sort of view on that movie, seeing it in wide. Well, given our subject today, it also bears noting that he was the director of Kung Fu Wonder Child. He tried out seemingly everything, like modern gangster movies as well. I don't remember many of them being good. It's sort of like, yeah, they came and went at best. But I always like when Lee Chonam sort of made crazier, wackier movies. I mean, I love the challenge of the Lady Ninja. Yeah. That holds some wonderful creativity. Yeah. A Life of Ninja, a little less so, still a fun movie. Yeah. I'm having fun looking at it. I'm looking at his filmography on HKMDB right now, and I'm having a lot of fun because we have titles like Internet Disaster. Oh, that must have been made in 1975, <laughs> of course. Uh, no, it was 2003. <laughs> and then in 2005, he did Oh, My Wife. 
exclamation point. <laughs> oh, and Happy Adventure. That's one of his more recent ones. I'm thinking, Todd, though, that because this is the era he worked in best is, you know, it maybe stretches a little bit into the 90s, but uh, I, I have a feeling those movies want to have the color that you have fallen for in the case of you know some some of the movies we mentioned but uh he he he, he is still working you're right uh, um, the latest i think i read was a mainland china movie called the empire symbol so uh, yeah that looks like that was his latest good that we have someone like that around still uh, and, and i mean the movies he worked in they, they contain so much uh glorious examples of hard-working Taiwanese movie crew coming up with creative ways to depict any, like, genre content on screen, whether ninjutsu or yeah. or these frenzied Taiwanese fantasy shenanigans that we're reviewing in this episode. So, uh, so yeah, it's uh, he's to be respected. Uh, I, I like workmanlike directors that, uh, yeah. m- you know, seemingly working with so sort of medium budgets at the at best, meaning that they could be employed over and over again, you know. Yeah, as a as a um, corollary to him, do you think Jess Franco would work? Well, I guess not, because Jess Franco wasn't really a commercial director. He was kind of driven by his obsessions, but he certainly made a lot of movies, and it was they were certainly very uneven in quality, you know. But I think he's he's one that one that I like that is sort of the lifeblood of the exploitation movie industry of his time. Well, certainly there's a, you know, you can draw global lines to, to many, many ones, and Jess Franco should be a good example. I mean, if you draw a line to Hong Kong at a guy like Herman Yao, I think uh, Ebola syndrome, untold story, etc., also a cinematographer, one of those guys like, oh man, that movie sucked. Oh man, that was an accomplishment. Like it's so, he just sort of mm-hmm. worked his ass off and still does and creates uh, solid enough movies. And uh, he's a sort of Hong Kong cinema's main heavy metal fan as well because he still has long hair, always has band t-shirts on. So he's not this stuffy director or anything like uh-huh. that. So. <laughs> so I like, her, like Herman a lot. I also like uh, Taiwan's number one ninja, if you will. It could be argued to be our lead, uh, not our lead actor, but he, he appears in two roles in Magic Warriors. Alexander Ray, and uh, just a few notes on him, he was a, and is still a, Taekwondo champion who worked frequently with the likes of filmmaker Robert Tai on the likes of Ninja The Final Duel, which was this uh, TV series initially, but mostly exists in edited movie form, and in your in your journey of watching messed up movies, uh, in your uh, during your years, I mean, you must have encountered Ninja the Final Duel at some point, like the water spiders and the stuff like that. <laughs> I have not seen. I have have not you not seen, seen that, that oh man? That's a not. fun one. I'm scared of ninja movies. I'm sort of warming up to them over the course of doing this podcast. Uh, for a long time, I heard so much that those movies were to be avoided that I did avoid them. But now I will probably probably uh, sample them a little more. They're not all Godfrey Ho. But like, yeah, there's a reason I'm just the co-host on this show, <laughs> basically, because <laughs> I do not have as much knowledge of these movies as you do. Well, uh, Ninja Final Duel, I mean, uh, it's not the ninjas that I remember the most. It's the um, uh, the water spiders. They're, they're, there's ninjas that sort of ride them like canoes. Oh, that sounds awesome. Well, the awesome part is they're, they're supposed to be flying water spiders as well, so they rig them with wires to fly up in the <laughs> air. But 
as they rig them, you know, the spider legs just go all limp because they lift them in out of the water. So they're they're not like it's not Ghidorah type of effects here, you know what I mean? Like they're not rigging up every damn spider leg with wires. So they're lifting up the limp spiders out of the water, and that is pretty damn fun. So. Um. But he also was a distinctive leading man in Lee Chonam's uh, movies, such as the mentioned Shaolin vs. Lama. And they also had a good ninja run, um, yeah, well, ninja run with director James Wu as well, uh, collaborating on, in my opinion, classics such as the Super Ninja, which is just all around good action fun. And uh, he also worked frequently on screen with. Um, uh, another like on-screen collaborator if you will Eugene Trammell and uh, they really made a good team on uh, on these movies but he continued to act in a variety of genres including fantasy and modern action and uh, even action directed the YFU gunplay in the Revanchist and the mentioned 21 Red List and, and even directed uh, but I've, ne- I've not seen any of his movies he started directing in 1996 uh, and directed four movies up until 2002 so uh um, again, I'm judging, but that era for Hong Kong and Taiwan is not the strongest. Uh, I, I sort of still love the. Uh, but I just know that the sort of must have petered out at some point, and I think early '90s is where Taiwanese fantasy and action cinema started to peter out a little bit. There's still fun, low-budget movies from Taiwan in the early '90s, like modern action movies, but it, it it's uh, it all started to uh, fade. I have a question for you about Alexander Loray. First of all, he was the action director on this on Magic Warriors as well, or one one of three, one of two action directors. Mm-hmm. But um, he played a dual role, right? And I know that he played the brother uh, uh, or ba- Golden Boy's uncle, Shu Lo Se. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. But what was the other part? Did he play the brother? Did he play both brothers? Is that what it was? I think so. The thing is, okay. it's a very easy to follow movie. At the same time, it isn't. It's such a yeah. <laughs> sort of like uh, well, I, well, well, I'll go with that then. <laughs> like it's yeah. I, I think that that's very true. Like I was able to s- summarize it pretty succinctly, but that's just the basic outline of the plot. Within that, there were a lot of times when I did not know what was going on. Contrast this versus, I mean, you're a fan of these fantasy movies, and you, you, you must have sort of picked out some fantasy movies that, yeah, they are hard to follow, but extremely easy to get into, versus some that are just incomprehensible and frustrating. Like, like And this doesn't seem like it is one of It didn't have me throwing, you know, my hands and giving up on it. It was, it was fun. Uh, very fast, super fast paced. I mean, I think this is even more fast paced than Magic of Spell. If you can't believe it. Yeah, but it's just one of those movies you kind of have to give up on understanding everything that's going on and just kind of let it wash over you, as I like to say, because there's a lot of like, I could never figure out whose side all those weird animal and vegetable spirit people were on were they yes he said vegetable spirits listeners vegetable spirits yeah at one point they said that they were uh you know agents of heaven but it seemed like they were the minions of the of the king of evil throughout most of it so i i was just like oh well who cares i mean it's a versus some of these uh Chuyan directed Shaw Brothers movies. I, those I felt, well, maybe that's unfair. They were more like 
sword play mysteries with twist and, twists and turns but now that I mentioned it like they are sometimes incomprehensible and that can be frustrating this is sort of like I think I know what's going on I feel pretty good about this like let's move on like it's not it's not head scratching it's exactly. just it's head scratching how you can come up with some of this stuff because wow where did that come from but yeah and it's kind of like why bother why not just have you know just say you know it's a guy with a mushroom head just deal with it you know, it's uh, it's the Jolly Green Giant. Just deal with it. We don't need to, you know, we don't need to go into all the politics of this situation. It's not about the Holocaust as well. Right. No, it's not. But like if the subtitles were somewhat better, then maybe maybe there was would be some subtext. <laughs> the subtitles were awful. But but yeah, uh, you you sort of dropped your quick opinions. I'll drop mine as well. Initially, it feels a slight bit clunkier compared to Magic of Spell, despite doing the fantasy elements right. You know, it's got wires, superimposed effects, and a free for all fantasy frenzy. But it overcomes that very quickly and delivers a lot of weirdness and delightful creativity <laughs> for ninety minutes. I mean, Todd, speaking of the subtitles, it's got a gorilla. Oh, a gorilla. Is that what they said? I think they I They never got it right, dude. Like, they mentioned uh, because someone turns <laughs> into a gorilla, and the subtitles get it wrong each and every time. It's a gorilla. <laughs> well, another problem with my version that I had was the subtitles weren't always visible. There were a lot of times the subtitles were against a white background. Yeah. So I couldn't even read, <laughs> no matter how nonsensical they were i just couldn't read them a lot of the time yeah it was a problem maybe that accounts for me feeling it was clunkier at start because the start holds the entire exposition for the story yes and you you have trouble reading it so that's uh so um, i mean i admire that you got the plot plot out of this one i i <laughs> i had to employ you the writer to to, uh-huh. make, to make sense of all this stuff well there was yeah and the prologue narration there was something about twins that I never that never seemed to materialize for me unless the uh golden boy's father the thunder whatever he was the thundering knight mm-hmm. and his brother were supposed to be twins which would explain that they were were played by Alexander they were both played by the same actor um but I never got how the twins played into anything it might as well been a Child of Peach free because it's sort of just it's a cheery theme to start it. It definitely is still in the realm of Taiwanese children's fantasy entertainment. And if you look it up on the internet, it sort of gets lumped in with uh, with the other two. Even Kung Fu Wonder Child sometimes has Child of Peach attached to it. But in a way, Todd, this could have been a second movie for our hero, Flying Little Dragon, because there's no setup of who. Uh, it's just Flying yeah. Little Dragon is there so this might have been uh, the second movie of a series uh, a, a separate one Yeah, it was also released under the title uh, Child of Peach 3 right? or was that an informal title? Okay, I'm not going to say that I know, right? But I just sort of have a feeling that that's something that some distributor post uh, all of this made or that the internet sort of created that connection because these three movies are the magic movies <laughs> right it's uh yeah it's like turkish star wars no no one who <laughs> behind making that film titled it turkish star wars that's just kind of what the internet has called it 
it's one of those things. As I said, it felt clunkier but overcame that very quickly. But, mm-hmm. I mean, looking at the elements that are available immediately to us, all the special effects, all the stupid weirdness of uh, fly <laughs> spirits, snail spirits, mushroom spirits, I mean, is, is there anything there that is a red flag for you entertainment-wise? Or you were sort of just set immediately, like, this is gonna be safe. The costumes are, the makeup and costumes are fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, right in the first five minutes, we have that thing where the uh, the river ghost, uh, we have uh, Little Flying Dragon having a fight with the river ghost who basically looks like Swamp Thing. <laughs> and that was like a great kickoff to it. And then we have all these great creatures, creations. There's a giant snail that's really disgusting uh, <laughs> and also amazing wigs in this movie. For the hair metal, uh, hair metal influences. Or the hair metal, like the the woman, the uh, Golden Boy's mom, who's just referred to as the evil lady, looks like she stole David Bowie's wig from Labyrinth. I mean, just like huge, a lot of really huge hair. And then when the King of Evil finally shows up at the end, he, of course, has the greatest main of all he has like this huge white fright wig on with horns coming out of it but it's just awesome i mean these movies basically are so 80s all of them have in common yet they're not dated as such because it's you know it's fantasy movies so thankfully right thankfully there are no no musical numbers to to date it even further you know so well there's the synth pop theme songs i mean the The flying dragon theme is very similar to the Peach Kid theme. It's amazing to me still, I think I've said this a bunch of times, that despite pouring it on five minutes in, ten minutes in, all of this stuff that you can sort of start counting and you need a couple of hands to keep uh, counting that. It's amazing, isn't it, that Taiwanese cinema can keep this up. They're not, excuse my language, blowing their wad early. They sort of just keep shooting throughout the movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and they always find like one, a lot of it you can say, well, I've seen this before, but they almost always come up with one, you know, sort of a signature bizarre moment that you can go, oh, this is the movie with, you know, this is the movie with the peach robot, and this is the movie. <laughs> Having said that, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I can make you laugh by just doing noises. Yes, like, yes Taiwan is in my rules. <laughs> But they, uh, you know, in this movie, uh, uh, I can't for the like of me think of its signature move. But one thing that amuses me quite a lot is the fact that in the big lair, we got a big lair here with the with the villains and its minions. Great, great, big, big set. I mean, yes, it, it should have been showcased in, in full widescreen. But the thing that amuses me here is we don't see King Devil initially. They just sort of worship King Devil. And he phones in his commands because he talks via that uh, blinking rock. And uh, it just reminded me of a phone that's blinking. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, right, like the bat phone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And instead we see his son, who the subtitles refer to as the kid of the worst. Yes. Which, And that's what uh, HKMDB refers to him as. But I have to think... That's maybe an inelegant translation. <laughs> it certainly is, but uh, it it sort of fits the tone of this thing, like the kid of yeah. the worst. What, what's the role <laughs> I'm getting, Mister Director, this time around? Am I going to be like uh, the King Devil? Now nah, you're going to be kid of the worst, huh? <laughs> well, it's, the, it's for kids. Like go with it. All fine. Yeah, exactly. 
starting with that sort of clunkier section like are they app that doing this and I overcame that they said after that there's really nothing to complain about you can just sort of stick to quoting elements like the message fish that they send out like it's straight <laughs> out of straight out of Harry Potter or something like that yeah. you can write a message and it'll do this and it'll transform into a fish that keeps talking to you and when the yeah. message is delivered it turns into paper again like it's, a, it's like almost mission impossible only it doesn't self-destruct <laughs> Yeah, I love that. There were a lot of little things that I really loved, you know. Oh, there were like those weird little puppets that showed up at one point. And one was like a flying mouth. And uh, they were almost like Muppets. But all of a sudden, they just uh, they showed up and were part of the fight for no reason. And then at, at some point, Lam Shu Lao was fighting sort of a furry red ball. And, and I mean, it seems like such low-budget concepts that you would have trouble materializing into energy on screen. But here's where these Taiwanese filmmakers rarely get recognition, mainly due to a little bit of uh, that this is more underground and cult than than Mm -hmm. sort of like uh, sitting neatly beside the art directors of Taiwan. But still, they don't get enough credit for transforming this into energy on screen and that goes into post-production as well of course but if you were to study editing in this movie you'd realize that this is slow work to put on screen you know what i mean like that's a very good point yeah like like they they don't sort of like do this edward style and then go home for the day yeah like yeah uh, so i i always think that that is to be admired especially when involving special effects to the degree that they are yeah, I can't think of another director uh, in any other country who, sort, who has sort of emulated this style, this very fast-paced and very crazy kind of action. It probably starts in a, to a degree, but again, it starts with uh, Choi Hak, of course, with, with, with the Sioux Warriors from the Magic Mountain um, sort of uh, style. Because yeah. Choi Hak also, in other movies, has employed this frantic sort of camera style whether appropriate for yeah. the moment or not i mean even in stupid movies like knockoff which i love this is this is a stupid shot within a shoe that breaks like uh like <laughs> claude van damme is running with these uh bootleg shoes and the camera is in the shoe and it starts to break from within and that's that that was Troy hark's idea for the time <laughs> i mean i don't think i've seen a film as fast another film as fast-paced as zoo was i mean zoo was just insane and still sort of um, coherent, you think? Do, do you, I mean, could you follow that based on the evidence in, in a movie there? I had to watch it a couple times, but that was not a chore, I can tell you that. I think first time I saw it, it just b- completely blew my mind, you know, because it was one of the very first uh, Hong Kong movies I ever saw. Uh-huh. I was I was a film reviewer for, like, the lo- the free weekly paper, and they sent me... Uh, there was a Hong Kong film festival happening in San Francisco. I mean, this was like probably 88 or something. Mm-hmm. And they sent me a bunch of screeners and Zoo was one of them. So, <laughs> And I just remember watching that. It, it still holds up, though, because oh, yeah. th- that's the wonderful thing with seeing movies that set an example then seeing all the crap in between, not not that Magic Warriors is, but uh, and, but then returning to the movies that set an example and realizing that they did that for a reason. They they were slated sort of set to survive while others uh, yes. were not. I mean, even John Woo movies with all the cliches that have been parodied, even though they were not aiming to be parodies, even when you return to the killer and the doves and the religious imagery, stuff like that still works because it, it's a good film. I mean, by comparison, uh, you know, a film like Magic, 
warriors. It's not an ambitious film. You know, it's not really trying to be Zoo. It's influenced by that. But, you know, as it says, the very beginning, the first part of the narration, it says this is a fairy tale, you know, that took place long ago. So that's sort of giving you sort of a pass to just kind of take it as it comes, you know, to not really question its logic. It's a fairy tale. Do do you think this rivals a studio effort like Holy Flame of the Martial World? I mean, do you think it can measure up to that? I don't know if this particular one does. I mean, I like this film a lot. It's not my favorite of this cycle, I guess we can call it. You know, I still think Peach Kid is the best Peach Kid film. And I think also watching all these films in such close proximity, maybe I was a little I was a little worn down by some of the uh you know the the uh tropes i guess peeing on on each other again i mean is it fair to compare it to a studio effort i mean if i reverse the question a little bit too yeah i think it's fair i mean holy flame is not uh is not the most coherent film either i mean that is so incredibly fast-paced and pretty complex in plotting it's it's definitely no less this is definitely no less coherent than Holy Flame of the Martial World. And I think it's very imaginative. I mean, it's definitely, this one looks a little cheaper than the previous ones, but it's still very imaginative. I mean, the the, the costumes and the red-haired weirdo and all those those beings uh, that, that come forth. And there's like sort of a Yeti thing at the end with a horn and uh, it was, it's fun. It's, it's really fun. What do you, what do you think? Do you think it's comparable to those films? It's not far off. I mean, I think uh, I think what it misses in that struggle is budget. Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Holy Flame of the Martial World. For listeners who do not know, it's a Hong Kong movie and it is Shaw Brothers movie, so therefore it's a studio movie. Uh, but uh, I still think there this is not the sort of a, uh, it's a slower casting or anything like that. It's it, yeah. it is in, in terms of imagination. I think it's uh, it stands up to it because uh, yeah. because imagination sort of. You know, you don't need budget for imagination sometimes. Uh, speaking of effects, by the way, there's a lot of, maybe too much, but still a lot of conjuring up of weapons and items done in jump cuts. You know, uh, you know, as actors set, you know, pull out their hand and then, you know, pew, 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 pew. But still, as with Magic of Spell, Child of Peach, you have to line that stuff up and not have the jump cut be so sloppy where the actor moves too much to the left and right and and that stuff i still think if that wasn't done well that the seams would have been like uh, disruptive but i I never think um, those type of effects or any effects really in this movie are take you out of the movie Uh, but but they do rely on that a little bit too much a lot of conjuring up of weapons but at least they do it so much and they do each and every shot and attempt quite well yeah there's a lot of uh animated like laser beams too coming out of everything which i like i I like that that didn't bother me i will what i'll say about this versus a film like holy flame of the martial world holy flame of the martial world is sort of a technical tour de force you know it's like an effects tour de force so the technology i think comes a little bit first and magic warriors is a much cheaper film so i think it leads with imagination and techno and then they try to 
you know, make the best of the technology at hand to realize what they've imagined. I think that's very fair, actually. Without uh, and and it's not a slight on on uh, or slag of um, in any of the movies' uh, qualities. So uh, that, that that's very fair. That's very well summarized. But some further highlights uh, because um, the, it is sort of a road trip movie as uh, Golden yeah. Boy and Little Flying Dragon uh, walks, you know, from place to place, from town to town, and stuff happens. So you got to fill it with. Uh, no slow spots I mean that's the dual, the dual directors they know that this can't be slow so for instance at one point don't ask me to, to quote each and every step that led to this but at one point Lam Siu Lao turns into a monkey and she is hunted by cannibals I think at that point uh, on, uh, well people who wants to eat her as a monkey you know her face first turns uh, primal primate and then yeah. she gets into a full, like, uh, gorilla suit. Gorilla suit, <laughs> pardon me. That's sort of... Yes, it's it's sort of entertainment for kids uh, to f- just make sure there's no slow spots and make sure it k- is kept up, uh, kept alive in a relentless way. But the key here is, Todd, you haven't heard us really talk of this is a kid's movie that fills its time with bad buffoonery. You know, it's it's baboonery, if anything. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because I, I I can't even imagine that it's that, that uh, or remember rather that there was a lot of that you know stupid cheap humor for forty percent of it or in a stretch. So that whole like she turning into a gorilla and then it all works out. Obviously, it, it wasn't like cheap stuff for the kids, in my opinion. Or what do you think? You know, they do put Golden Boy front and center in this movie, so I think it is if that makes it feel more like a kids' movie because you have. This kid who looks like he's like six years old, maybe, as one of the protagonists. Well, well, it would be different if it would have been grating and annoying, which I, which I don't think it is. No, I don't think so either. Yeah, I don't know if that the <laughs> the fact that it's not grating and annoying means it's not a kids' film. But uh, well, there's you know there's definitely some adult stuff too. I mean, my favorite scene in the movie is the one where Golden Boy gets drunk. And lay, lays waste to the <laughs> to the bar, <laughs> which is like something you would never ever see in an American movie. People would freak out to have this little kid just knocking back these big tankards of ale or wine or whatever it is, and then he's like staggering around <laughs> and he's using his magic to make the furniture fly all over the place and dance around and that is so hilarious and that's one of the things I love about you know Chinese language cinema is they they're not sentimental or scared to show kids in situations like that no indeed i mean uh the, the the image that always crops up when you say that is the scene from the hong kong movie fatal termination where uh, where mike abbott is holding the kid out of the window of a speeding car yes that's a very famous a very famous scene yeah. she was rigged up but still that car is moving fast her feet are not far from the ground so even on a rig, if you would have hit like the asphalt, like you would have been like just scraped your feet to ah, and they did it. They did it. that. Kid hopefully turned out all right. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. He, he, Golden Boy just got to fart and pee on a bunch of people, and there is a scene where he just sprays these two guys with diarrhea, and that's that's really disgusting. Actually, that was because they're going oh oh, you know, they're like 
practically vomiting because it smells so bad. It's a very graphic, gross scene. Yeah, it's it's sort of like how do we top the stuff that that other movie, Child of Peach, did? Well, yeah, that was P. What can we do? Bop, bop, bop. I got it. I got it. Eureka. <laughs> Right. What's our number two choice in this situation? Oh, number two. Shit. It sort of doesn't look like it. It's like a crystal clear diarrhea, but it's still no, no, like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm being technical about this listeners. Like, it, does, it doesn't look like feces. Thank you very much. Like, I've made my point now. Now you are the biggest nerd on the internet. I remember reading a thing where a guy was talking about one of those uh, Japanese sort of S&M movies, and they... It was like an anima movie, and he was critiquing the sound effects quality wow. of that was uh, the sa- supposed to be the sound of the anima being rele- released. <laughs> the person who had been anima, their bowels being released, and they're like that. This the spe- I felt that the sound effects in this instance were lacking. Uh, they don't really portray the sound of anyway. I don't want to get into it, but it was. Is only on the internet. But the last, uh, like, low element we can mention is the fact that... Don't ask me why I picked this up now, but uh, I, I pulled out the poster for Magic Warriors and... Uh, and uh, I saw Golden Boy there in the background, and Golden Boy's Willy is visible on the poster. They're, they're not sensitive about that stuff, clearly. It's not apparently illegal to do so. You know, right on. It's not sexualized. It's to the Golden Boy's nude. I mean, there's no real true reason why it needs to be, but there it is. Yeah, he's just kind of, and he's kind of yelling at somebody. He's in a very in a very uh, characteristic Golden Boy pose. I mean, Golden Boy is definitely a brat. <laughs> there's no mistaking that. And the role could have gone so wrong, but I think the kid's got attitude and dedication yeah. for for essentially getting a co-lead role here. He, he, he does well. I mean, I didn't know before looking at the poster if it was a he or a she, but it is indeed a boy. So I wanted to ask you a question. Is it is it possible that uh, Lam Shu Lao did any more of these kind of movies? Because right now I think the official sort of cycle is... Child of Peach, Magic of Spell, Kung Fu Wonder Child, and this movie. And I think that eventually Lam Shu Lao, as she got older, actually just started playing female roles. So. Yeah, in modern movies. that The only one I haven't seen, uh, looking at the quite sparse filmography and looking at the poster alone, is something called King of the Children from 1989, where she's wearing sort of a, a priest's robe or yin and yang robe of some kind. That might be it. I haven't seen a movie. Uh, but uh, otherwise, like, you know, she turned up in effects movies, but they were more, they were modern. I mean, there's a movie called Kung Fu Student, which she did with Alexander Loray. Really funny stuff, but it is a modern movie where she does indeed play uh, a female, a female cop or something like that. So, yeah, I'm looking at the poster for King of the Children. That looks like a, there's like guys with bowl, you know, goofy looking guys with bowl haircuts. So that looks a little dire, but. You, you know, I think even if she did do fantasy movies post this, I think this is sort of the core where she was front and center, where it really came to fruition. And uh, then it's sort of like the mixing and matching of roles that she got made like the era sort of uh, uh, like the era of this kind of frantic filmmaking clo- came close to having a period put to it uh, because it's yeah. not a very long era of uh, of these kind of uh, these kind of movies so um no it's about five years i think 
yeah, so that, that that's my theory of it all. Uh, my final notes on it all, my, like some, some final uh, highlights. Um, again, I'm not going to give it a context, but because why bother? It's too complicated to quote. But at one point, she fights a smaller looking Daimajin, it looks like. You remember you remember Daimajin, the Japanese movie trilogy? Yes. With the stone god that is sort of like just uh, regular human size a little bit. And my final note is one of the few like sort of verbal banter stuff that works well. At one point, uh, you know, the minions go back to the lair and they get yelled at by by the, by the, their boss, uh, Kid of the Worst, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Kid of the Worst, yeah. But one monster minion says, well, I got, um, it's not even her weapon, but uh, like Alexander Lowray's uh, weapon, uh, his spear. Like, I got that. I got it. I got it from him. But as a matter of fact, he's like impaled on it. And one of the minions said, like, what are you talking about? You were actually hit by him. You didn't get anything. Like, you were hit. <laughs> You're sort of bleeding out, essentially. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. So I, I thought that was that. fun. But, uh, and also the final note, despite all of this being, a big special effects spectacle from beginning to end. They never let up, but they do find time, which I appreciate it, to do some quality-looking grounded martial arts exchanges too. I wanted to say another of my favorite lines was, "I can't really rem- I can't remember who said it, but it was one of the villains, and uh, someone says to him, "That hurt. Why did you do that?" And he says, "I am a bad guy." <laughs> <laughs> According to the terrible, terrible subtitles. They are not good, but somehow it all came to, like, coherency was still maintained thanks to visuals and stuff like that. You know, thank God, because I'm used to subtitles being sort of wonky, but this had tons of errors, actually, tons of them. Yeah, I think one of my favorite lines is something like, no one can defeat use instead of us. Yeah, that was a good one. (laughs) Or it almost sounded like uh, Joe Pesci's line from My Cousin Vinny, like, these youths. Say, what? Youths. Yeah. The two you, the two youths. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I'm a big fan of that movie, so I can, I, I can quote that all day, <laughs> but I won't. Um, any other notes before we do the availability, my friend? I would recommend this, but, you know, if you just want to sample one of this type of movie, I'd still say Child of Peach is the best. I enjoyed this one as I've enjoyed all of these. I think I'm ready to move on to more substantial uh, films now, for just for just for one or two episodes. Yeah, exactly. We got to return to to our addiction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've been happy these last few episodes. Definitely talking about these movies. You know, we will get back to Kung Fu Wonder Child and combine it with something eventually, but uh, for, for, for now we'll put it to rest. And as for availability, uh, my version is uh, a VCD from somewhere. I, I don't have the original. Uh, and I can't locate any in-print stuff at this time. I mean, it is a Mandarin language VCD, so if it was from Taiwan or China, uh, I don't know, but whoever ripped this and put it on the internet knew to put the Mandarin soundtrack on it because it's a Taiwanese movie and, and all of that. So, uh, and, and I mean, I swear, we're not trying to make things difficult for your listeners, I swear, but this is the sad reality of Taiwanese and Hong Kong cinema, the sparse availability. I mean, even if discs crop up, they go out of print sometimes within a year or a couple of years. And you kind of have to be technically savvy to a degree if you want to see more. I mean, uh, look it up on the internet yeah. is what I'm saying. Uh, um, I mean, the volume sometimes of, if we're talking Taiwanese movies and Hong Kong movies, regardless of genre, the volume is so too great 
So that means all distributors won't pick up all movies out there. And also, to be fair, audience interest is sparse for some of these specialized genres. Especially in Taiwan, you won't see, you know, these movies crop up in discussion next to the art movies. I mean, uh, I'm not I'm not a fan of those art movies, but I get why there's an appeal for them. So so therefore, those have been kept alive. You know, the Edward Yang stuff, Ang Lee, Ho Xia Shen, and so forth. I understand it, but it makes me sad that um, there's no sort of um, audience appeal uh, for this, for it to make it into the West and stuff. It's it's similar to India, I think, where there's just not an interest in the old films. People are only interested in what's new. And I think that's, you know, they're, they're a growing country, they're a growing economy. So I could sort of see that indulging in these old films might be seen as backward looking but it's a shame because a lot of them are good and i also find i used to buy a lot of films in chinatown i'd go in the in the dvd shops and i'd want like old connie chan movies and stuff like that and they'd just like be like why do you want that hey here's whitey again <laughs> right yeah exactly here comes round eye <laughs> We can flow. We can flog anything to him, like he wants it. Right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Magic warriors, like right. Yeah, here's here's a yeah the the latest piss comedy. I'm sure <laughs> like that. Yeah, so so in a fair world, I mean, um, you know, so, because sometimes in Japan and France they sort of manage to unearth these movies. I mean, there was even a Hello Dracula box set released on DVD in Japan once upon a time. So yeah, there, there's sometimes it happens in Japan and France, and uh, you would get like these free movies in a box set, and someone would fan subtitle them or something. But if it would be put out, I mean, I'm sure there's a print or two to pick up and remaster. I, I'd buy an unsubtitled version or a box set just to support them to have because i think it's i think that's important my version of this i have on a cdr that i'm not even sure where i got it i probably got it from tars tarkas and it's it's definitely from a vcd because there's that break in the middle and the quality is not that great also which makes me think it's a vcd it's a little fuzzy passable enough to uh, to generate a review and discussion and all of that so uh, right. We, we, right we're not struggling to watch through vhs lines and try and figure out what's going on back <laughs> there you know there, there's no such problem so better than my experience with magic of spell because i do have the uh, vcd from magic of spell but it's one of those uh it's one of those ones where it has Cantonese in one audio channel and Mandarin in the other. And I got a new remote for my DVD player and I couldn't figure out how to turn it off. So I had to watch with both going, you know, with the volume low, but that was a little irritating for a while. Yet I still enjoyed the movie. As for next time, the next substantial time, uh, we've had our fun. We've had our celluloid crack for a couple of episodes uh, watching these uh, Taiwanese children's fantasy movies. But So next time we do uh, proper work, Todd. I mean, um, I'm, I'm kidding in a way because obviously we always provide as much context as we can and a nuanced review and discussion. But next time we are on trying to honor one of the greats and uh, one of the great movies from uh, a legendary director. And uh, I thought we'd look at, uh, in one episode only, we're not going to do a dual thing. I thought we'd look at King Who's Dragon Inn because it's topical more than ever. 
And why it's topical is not because uh, the mainstream is discussing it, it's because it's on high definition release in 2015. It went through the big restoration stages and now it's on good looking Blu-ray in the West too. So it's uh, it's available from the UK and therefore Western friendly. And uh, so we're going to see to check to see if that still because I, I like the movie quite a bit, so we're going to see if his 1967 Wuxia movie Dragonine has stood the test of time or not. You know, that topic that I said earlier in the show, you know, the movies that set an example and then you watch the crap in between and then you return to the ones who set an example. Here, here's a, you know, good opportunity to see if it has stood the test of time. And I remember liking it quite a bit, um, not as much as other King Who movies. I think my favorite King Who movie is his uh, one of his um, two free Hong Kong movies, uh, The Fate of Lee Khan. I think it's uh, my, my favorite movie of his. Yeah, I think I've only seen this one and A Touch of Zen. And I'm actually, this is probably heretical, but I, I'm not too fond of Touch of Zen. I find it kind of dull. Let, let young Ken teach old Todd something here. As long <laughs> as you don't look down on any other opinion then it's okay to dislike something. It's okay to be honest and sincere about your opinion. So it's not, we're not going to crucify you for not liking <laughs> a touch of Sam yet. <laughs> pitchforks, pitchforks, burn, burn, burn. Oh no, here they come. I'm a fan of touch of Sam. It's, it's quite hefty, obviously being a long movie. And uh, so, uh, yeah. yeah, but, uh, but even that is out on um, like uh, Eureka Entertainment in the UK are putting out at the time of recording um, a touch of Sam as well so they've handled uh, Dragon Inn and a touch and a touch of Sam and uh, in a fair world someone would dive even deeper in the King Who catalog and mm-hmm. you know do the valiant ones even like the, that's an action movie that's been forgotten because it's not been widely available and stuff so Dragon Inn next episode a little bit of talk of King Who and the biography and stuff like that but uh, we're gonna have some fun I'm sure with Dragon Inn so absolutely that's, that's next time uh, but in the meantime this uh, has been Taiwan War on the Podcast on Fire Network we are on podcastonfire.com all the other shows on Hong Kong Japanese Korean cinema and bonus episodes are available there email us if you have any feedback let us know if you like this taiwanese children's fantasy movie and what you think of all the peeing and shitting and farting in these movies like <laughs> we even forgot to quote that big fart gag where where someone is like p- pulled across the frame after being farted in farted on right so. yeah they have actually have a, wi- a wire work involved in a fart joke which every yeah exactly which every movie should have <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Write to us, podcast on fire at googlemail.com if you like that stuff too. Uh, check out uh, the handy buttons to our social media at the top of the website, uh, our Facebook, Twitter, and uh, you can also get to our iTunes feed to subscribe to and our Stitcher feed if you want to stream us. And Stitcher also have an application on the Apple App Store and Google Play. And I write about these kind of Taiwanese movies, among other things, on SoGoodReviews.com and my video hub is SleazyKVideo.com and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And the final plug from me before you can do yours is uh, we'll link to the Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles blog as usual and specifically the Taiwanese movies posts that uh, Jesus Perez Molina have compiled and, and they're about when these movies were used as part of the various Godfrey Ho movies and things like that. So it's important to identify Taiwanese movies even when they're part of that wacky vision. And what do you want to plug before we leave? Uh, you can always catch up with me on my blog, Die Danger, Die, Die, Kill. That's Die Danger, Die, Die, Kill.blogspot.com. And uh, if you go there, uh, in addition to being able to read my reviews of any number of unusual 
foreign genre films. Uh, if you look on the right sidebar over there, there's links to my Facebook page, my Tumblr, my Twitter account, all my all the podcasts I'm involved with, my radio show, etc. Um, I did, and I wanted to especially mention that I just recorded an episode of The Projection Booth with Mike White and my buddy Beth of Beth Loves Bollywood. We did an episode on the Bollywood film Cholet. Is that uh, modern or vintage? It's a vint- It's a 70s movie. It's actually uh, a Western, and it's pretty much the most beloved Indian film of all time in India. Uh and so that's, I don't know when this episode of Taiwan Noir is going to go live. Probably this autumn sometime, because, you know, I, I edit for a long time now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, anyway, this episode of the Projection Booth is going to go live sometime in mid-February. So if this you're hearing this after that, I'm sure it'll be archived. So go check it out. It was a really good episode. Excellent. Well, uh, let's uh, finish this one off then by, by, let's go and fart on someone and see if that works yeah, in real exactly. life. <laughs> You didn't fly at all. What's, yeah. going, what's going on here? <laughs> but anyway, thank you very much, Todd, as usual, for uh, for making this fun. And uh, we'll uh, we'll see you next time for the Dragon Inn episode, whether fun or not. So, uh, all right. Thanks for having me, Ken. And thanks, everybody, for listening. See you next time. <laughs> Ping-pong, 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 ping-